Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Mark 9, verses 14 to 29, and then through J.C. Rao's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark, chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spear that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the word of the Lord. The contrast between these verses and those which precede them in the chapter is very striking. We pass from the Mount of Transfiguration to a sad history of the work of the devil. We come down from the vision of glory to a conflict with satanic possession. We change the blessed company of Moses and Elijah for the crude communion of unbelieving scribes. We leave the foretaste of the millennial glory and the solemn voice of God the Father testifying to God the Son and return once more to a scene of pain, weakness, and misery. A boy in agony of body, a father in deep distress, and a little band of feeble disciples restrained by Satan's power and unable to give relief. The contrast we must all feel is very great. Yet it is but a faint emblem of the change of scene that Jesus voluntarily undertook to witness when he first laid aside his glory and came into the world. And it is, after all, a vivid picture of the life of all true Christians. With them, as with their master, work, conflict, and scenes of weakness and sorrow will always be the rule. With them, too, visions of glory, foretastes of heaven, seasons on the mount will always be the exception. Let us learn from these verses how dependent Christ's disciples are on the company and help of their master. We see this truth brought out in a striking manner in the scene which meets our Lord's eyes when he came down from the mount. Like Moses, when he came down from Mount Sinai, he finds his little flock in confusion. 
he sees his nine apostles beset by a party of malicious scribes and baffled in an attempt to heal one who had been brought to them possessed with a devil. The very same disciples who a short time before had done many miracles and cast out many devils had now met with a case too hard for them. They were learning by humbling experience the great lesson, without me you can do nothing, John 15:5. It was a useful lesson, no doubt, and overruled to their spiritual good. It would probably be remembered all the days of their lives. The things that we learn by smarting experience abide in our memories, while truths heard with the ear are often forgotten. But we may be sure it was a bitter lesson at the time. We do not like to learn that we can do nothing without Christ. We need not look far to see many illustrations of this truth in the history of Christ's people in every age. The very men who at one time had done great exploits in the cause of the gospel, at another time had failed entirely and proved weak and unstable as water. The temporary recantations of Cramner and Jewell are striking examples. The holiest and best of Christians has nothing to glory of. His strength is not his own. He has nothing but what he has received. He has only to provoke the Lord to leave him for a season, and he will soon discover that his power is gone. Like Samson, when his hair was shorn, he is weak as any other man. Let us learn a lesson of humility from the failure of the disciples. Let us strive to realize every day our need of the grace and presence of Christ. With him, we may do all things. Without him, we can do nothing at all. With him, we may overcome the greatest temptations. Without him, the least may overcome us. Let our cry be every morning. Leave us not to ourselves. We know not what a day may bring forth. If your presence does not go with us, we cannot go up. Let us learn in the second place from these verses how early in life we are liable to be injured by Satan. We read a fearful description of the miseries inflicted by Satan on the young man, whose case is here recorded, and we are told that he has been under this dreadful visitation from his very infancy. It came to him from childhood. There is a lesson of deep importance here which we must not overlook. We must labor to do good to our children even from their earliest years. If Satan begins so early to do them harm, we must not be behind him in diligence to lead them to God. How soon in life a child becomes responsible and accountable is a difficult question to solve, perhaps far sooner than many of us suppose. One thing, at all events, is very clear. It is never too soon to strive and pray for the salvation of the souls of children, never too soon to speak to them as moral beings and tell them of God and Christ and right and wrong. The devil we may be quite sure, loses no time in endeavoring to influence the minds of young people. He begins with them even from childhood. Let us work hard to counteract him. If young hearts can be filled with Satan, they can also be filled with the Spirit of God. Let us learn in the third place from these verses how faith and unbelief can be mixed together in the same heart. The words of the child's father set this truth before us in a touching way. Lord, he cried, I believe, help my unbelief. We see in those words a vivid picture of the heart of many true Christians. Few indeed to be found among believers in whom trust and doubt, hope and fear do not exist side by side. 
Nothing is perfect in a child of God, so long as he is in the body. His knowledge and love and humility are all more or less defective and mingled with corruption. And as it is with the other graces, so it is with his faith. He believes, and yet has about him a remainder of unbelief. What shall we do with our faith? We must use it. Weak, trembling, doubting, feeble as it may be, we must use it. We must not wait until it is great, perfect, and mighty, but like the man before us, turn it to account and hope that one day we'll be stronger. Lord, he said, I believe. And what shall we do with our unbelief? We must resist it and pray against it. We must not allow it to keep us back from Christ. We must take it to Christ as we take all other sins and infirmities and cry to him for deliverance. Like the man before us, we must cry, Lord, help my unbelief. These are experimental truths. Happy are they who know something of them. The world is ignorant of them. Faith and unbelief, doubts and fears are all foolishness to the natural man. But let the true Christian study these things well and thoroughly understand them. It is of the utmost importance to our comfort to know that a true believer may be known by his inward warfare as well as by his inward peace. Let us mark in the last place the complete dominion which our Lord exercises over Satan and all his agents. The spirit who was too strong for the disciples is at once cast out by the master. He speaks with mighty authority, and Satan at once is obliged to obey. I charge you, come out of him and enter him no more. We may leave the passage with comfortable feelings. Greater is he that is for us than all who are against us. Satan is strong, busy, active, malicious. But Jesus is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. From the devil as well as from sin, from the devil as well as from the world. Let us possess our souls in patience. Jesus still lives and will not let Satan pluck us out of his hand. Jesus still lives and will soon come again to deliver us entirely from the fiery darts of the wicked one. The great chain is prepared. Revelation 21 Satan shall one day be bound. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under our feet shortly. Romans 16.20 That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we've just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, are we daily aware of our need for Christ and His grace? Do we really believe that without Christ the only thing we can do is nothing? Second, Parents, are we willing to use every means to point our children to Jesus and pray for them, even while they are very young? Third, do we struggle with sin and doubt and unbelief? Does it surprise us to hear that this inward warfare against these foes is actually proof of truly believing? Do we find great comfort, lastly, in the fact that Jesus is for us, and is able to save us to the uttermost, that we are in his hands and we are safe.